You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and today we are buzzing into episode 73, and uh, welcome to our brand new, all fancy, uh, professional studio that yeah, we're in. Yeah, we have all new equipment, like <laughs> professional equipment. It, it's weird. I feel like... Yeah, yeah, so we, we... We sound different. At least in my headphones, <laughs> we sound different. And we're still in the, the same old place, just having <laughs> better stuff. It was... Um, we're getting towards the end of the year and uh, presented to our, our boss, my mom, uh, who <laughs> basically said, hey, do you think we can get some some new stuff that, well, one is for the nursery because yeah. we were just borrowing Fran stuff that he yeah. used. And uh, so I hope that and our my, voices are crispy and, and velvety clear. And, and, and my equipment wasn't really meant to do that. It, it was more of a soundboard when I was doing a radio show. So, I mean, we made it work. You know, but I kind of always when when I listen back to episodes could hear like a light hiss, or we couldn't get the volume <laughs> of our guests with with Zoom just right. So this should make it. We should. Yeah. It just. I'm just wondering how long until I mess something up. Like and I'm honestly, recording. I did hit yeah, record. We're, we're just praying it works. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is a big thing. So if you're hearing this, it means we did something right. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I'm 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 happy. But yeah, we're 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 all set up. We have a. Uh, you know, we we've it's it's been a crazy week because our Facebook group has really we had our first it, it wasn't us but we had our first post go viral kind of mm-hmm. oh yeah and we grew by seventy seventy five members this mm-hmm. week from from that post alone so we'll see if they listen to the podcast and if we lose them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but no and we're gonna touch on that post later because yeah. that was really something amazing that that uh. Oh, it, 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 it spreads it, the message. It, That's it, what we talk about. It's a perfect post to go viral, and I love seeing that, and it was the right one. You know, it's the right, right thing at the right time, the right mm-hmm. situation, and, and it all worked. So, yep. I'm, so I'm thankful. And now this is normally when I say, hey, let's get into what we're vibing with this, with this week, but I changed it up, and we're actually going to start with this or that this week because uh, I need some redemption. You can get with this, or you can get with that. I had to be, you know, I'm used to hitting all the sound effects in a certain order. So now, like, and I even, oh, yeah, I have yeah. them prepped in that order. So now, <laughs> Yeah, now. I really threw Fran off this morning. But I was ready. So um, we do have a winner. You know, it's funny because I really haven't looked at it. And there has been so many, so much great interaction in the Facebook group. The post with the voting is pretty far down. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we do have a winner. Yeah, and. Uh, oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. I was just going to say that that we had two really good articles. We did. And this is the section of the show, if you are new to listening, this is the section of the show where we kind of talk about some of the the things that are going on current event-wise in the world of botany or, or ecology or even conservation. Yeah. Um, so Fran's article last week was on – where is Fran's article? It was on uh, – oh, why Switzerland is growing a native plant oasis in the heart of Washington, D.C. And then my article was – on uh, the North American Grasslands Conservation Act, which is interesting because I and when we talked about it, I didn't yeah. realize they were both kind of DC focused. I I didn't realize yeah. it either, and it it had been uh, mentioned by a member of our or one of our listeners that that 
Tom typically does like not the feel good ones, but more get, like get, the, get your ass in gear. Gear, <laughs> yeah, and I <laughs> typically do the science based ones, and we we flip flopped. You know, we flip flopped before the person made the comment, so it was interesting. But based on that, the voting uh, has been cast, and we do have a winner. And it was me. I'm back on top. Like I feel like. I, but it was close for a long time, and it's still close. Yeah. I think when I looked, it was eleven to seven. I don't know if it's changed any from the last. Time I, I, I looked. haven't looked since, and that was the last I saw. It was eleven to seven. So, so no, it's a lot of great, a uh, lot of great votes. I think with the win, I'm going to go first this okay. week. And it was tough. Like I, I know I joked with you because there is a new Margaret Roach article, and I didn't go with it, and I was going to see if you were going to go to it, and I didn't either. And so. and it's a shame because it's a great article. If mm-hmm. if, if you get a chance, it's. Uh, I think it's called Why the Largest Trees Aren't Necessarily the Best Trees, and it, it brings up a lot of great points. And if you get a chance to read that and you can get through the New York Times firewall, that's a great <laughs> one. But I, I had trouble – actually, This the article I chose wasn't my original choice. I was originally going to go with um, an article about how Harvard had finally um, made the decision to stop investing in fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. And it made me think of Dr. Sala when he was talking about how humans are the only species that cheat. By going after fossil fuels mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of using what's above ground, we're yeah. the only ones that cheat. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, a coworker, made me wear this article and it is a couple months old, and it to me it kind of hit home a little bit. So I'll go first. The article I have this week is called "Ghost Forest of New Jersey uh, Trees Warns of Climate Change," and that's by uh, Rachel Michelle. Oh no, by Michelle Byers. It still has a. A name from last week. Oh. Here. <laughs> I was like, wait, no, that's not her name. By Michelle Byers from New Jersey Conservation mm-hmm. uh, Foundation. So I believe she's their executive director. Um, so I'm going to read a few passages, kind of highlight a few things, um, and kind of give my input. But at a time of the year when most parks are green and lush, the centerpiece of Madison Square Park in New York City is a stand of skeletal trees with nary a trace of green. This bleak gray landscape is completely intentional. The Dead Atlantic White Cedars are part of a unique and art installation, Ghost Forest, by Maya Lin, the artist most famous for designing the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C. Commissioned by the Madison Square Park Conservancy, the installation is intended to draw uh, public attention to the impacts of climate change. The 49 towering Atlantic White Cedars came from the New Jersey Pine Barrens and were already dying from saltwater flooding when they were raised for uh, exhibit. Where to find large trees suitable for such an exhibit? Lynn was advised to look in the New Jersey Pine Barrens where Atlantic White Cedar Swamps near the coastline suffered saltwater inundation during Superstorm Sandy in 2012. Saltwater was pushed inland during the storm uh, uh, the storm surge and was trapped in the ground as the hurricane moved away. Saltwater flooding means slow death for these trees, uh, which need fresh water to live. Um, the time the trees were cut from Madison Square Park installation, they were considered walking dead, technically alive, but on the way out. Ranging in height from 38 to 45 foot, the trees were planted in eight-foot-deep holes bored into the ground in the park, similar to the way utility poles are installed. Lynn hopes that the eerie sight of the dead trees will serve as a warning of what the future of forests around the world could be if climate change isn't slowed. Scientists predict that if the temperature of the Earth's atmosphere continues to rise at the current rate, severe storms and coastal flooding will become more common. Um, I'm kind of going to stop at that point. Um, I will – Go to – I, I want to scroll down a little bit, but ghost trees like this can be observed in tidal areas in more than half of New Jersey's 21 counties. Saltwater flooding threatens over 100 miles in New Jersey coastal forests along the edges of tidal marshes. 
In New Jersey, there's recently launched efforts by the Division of Parks and Forests to restore Atlantic White Cedar Forest, which effectively store large amounts of carbon. As of 2019, when the efforts began, there were only about 20,000 acres of Atlantic White uh, Cedar Forest remaining in New Jersey of the original 135,000 to 140,000 that existed before European settlement. So the goal is to restore another 10,000 to 20,000 uh, in the Pine Barrens over the, mm-hmm. the decade. So this hits home for us. We know – and I know we've talked about it before. Like when you think of the Meadowlands in New Jersey, um, that was originally a, an Atlantic white cedar marsh mm-hmm. that the Dutch kind of dammed the Hackensack River and, and made it brackish and, and killed. Plus they were logging. So it's just – you know, when you drive through the Pine Barrens, you see the effects. You see ghost trees. Oh, yeah. It's not yeah. – it's – you know, and it's it's from that salt influence. And Sandy really had a far – Superstorm Sandy, far impact. We had projects that were postponed for years, for, for five, six years because of the salinity still contained in the soil uh, where they started to plant and they didn't realize how impacted it was. So it, it is kind of – you know, it is a storm and it was the storm of a, a, a lifetime that hit. But – it is a real thing, and, and you are seeing change as far as more southern plants moving north, things, plants that mm-hmm. we were accustomed to seeing as, as kids not really being here anymore and being more of a northern species. But you don't always think of the tidal influence, and I know that doesn't affect everyone you know, in the in the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. But on the coast, it, it is a little more relevant. You do see it. The, the, the beach towns are changing. Like yeah. You do oh, yeah. see an evident change, which – I always thought, you know, even though we enjoy the beach, I always thought it was silly that so many people put up residences on a place that changes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's constantly changing. Um, but it's it's a real thing. So it's it's nice. It's an interesting piece of art put in a prevalent place, mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully, people will see it and and think of it um, of what the effects are. It's and especially in a place like New York City, I think. That's yeah, great. it's a, it's a good way to raise awareness, just like we saw with that that giant mural of the the Eupatorium. it's yeah people are going to ask questions they're going to wonder why why that's there and um i just hope it hits the mark i hope I do it, it does enough because it is a big issue and i i don't know the current statistics of how fast they say water is rising but or sea levels rising but an inch is a big difference oh big deal because it it really can an inch means it's coming in Probably some in some places hundreds, if not thousands of feet further inland. Yeah. So uh, it seems like a tiny, tiny little thing when they say, "Oh, the it's going to sea level rise in the next handful of years is going to raise two inches, three inches, six inches." It doesn't seem like that much when you look at it linearly. Yeah. But when you actually look at it, how much what that tidal flow would be? Oh, it's a huge difference. Yeah, especially so. if you think of where you visit if you're going to the to the beaches or. Mm-hmm. Barrier Islands, yeah. like that's a huge effect on those yeah. alone. But speaking of Sandy, it just kicked in my mind that um, so I was at a, a very very small wedding over the weekend, and uh, had a conversation with uh, a, the groom's friend, who I was also friends with the groom, but one of his friends from college about what we were doing, and he we got to the topic of what I did and how we grew plants for this kind of stuff, yeah. and I was like, well, you, you really just got to look at. He lived down the shore. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you really just got to look at what happened with. Seaside and Seaside Park during Hurricane Sandy, yeah. you have one that with no dunes and no green infrastructure, and it's uh, there was a lot of devastation. You have the other with lots of green infrastructure, the dunes and the they're planted, yeah. and there was no real house damage. And he's like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that because those dunes were mangled when like after the dunes were half gone, the beach was half gone. I'm like, well, 
that means they work. The beach wasn't yeah. the beach isn't actually supposed to be there. It's not supposed to constantly be in the same spot. And there was no or very, very little housing damage behind it. So it means it worked. Yeah, and, yeah. and it means we gotta redo it. Yeah. Yeah, that that part sucks. But had they not been there, think about how much more damage. <laughs> yeah, and there's exactly. probably less dunes that should have been there. Like there should have been probably a much larger yeah. amount of, mm-hmm. of dunes as a buffer. You know, and like I remember after Sandy, one of the big um, arguments at the time was Margate has a seawall, uh, mm-hmm. a bulkhead, and Chris Christie was – Governor uh, Christie was going to – they were enforcing him to take it down. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were up in arms saying this is what protected the Margate beaches and you can't do that. But that created so much energy for all the beaches south of there mm-hmm. and made their well. – their devastation much worse. So unless you're going to bulkhead the entire thing, like you really needed to do it the proper way. They just created way more energy during that storm because mm-hmm. of the bulkhead. So yeah. there's I I wasn't so in tune with this until and I'm still not, I wouldn't say in tune with this up until a couple weeks ago, but where it's really bad is in like the the bayou of Louisiana. Yeah. Where there's literally if you looked at a map and you can see the lakes and their names, there's lakes that aren't there anymore because it's just flooded so much inland, and they're losing marshes, and and a lot of it goes into the whole levee practice that they had, and yeah. it just diverted the water elsewhere. It was with sea level rise, obviously, is the big implicator, but the levees kind of diverted the water where it shouldn't be, and now you're losing land elsewhere. So, yeah. and it's it's happening fast down there, like yeah, really, really fast. So the effects are being seen, but it doesn't affect everyone. You know, it you, you see it on the coastal communities, but you don't really see it if you're inland. So it's it's a real thing, and it's mm-hmm. it's nice to see. You know, New York City basically is on the water, so it's nice to see that level of awareness through art. They yeah. they really yeah. do marry together. Like people are more apt to take notice um, as it instead of being a statement, yes. as it being art. Yeah. So I I appreciate that, and I thought that was a good article, and I'm looking forward to see what you got. Yeah. So. That I'm trying to find a good way to to tie in mine. I don't think there is a way. Mine is uh, was from the Wildlife Society and just came out. Okay, and it uh, it was titled "LEDs May Cause More Insect Declines Than Other Lights" by Joshua Rapp Learn. And when I saw this, I kind of gasped. I'm like, "Oh, LEDs are supposed to be good, and now you're telling me they're bad." And, and it really reflected. Or I reflected on it and said, you know, there's so many of these things that are so positive but also have negative implications. When you talk about well, basically all your green energy, there are downsides to green energy, but do those are the positives outweighing the negatives when it comes to this stuff? And you really have to look at it and rethink where you stand on a lot of this stuff on a consistent basis. You can't just say, oh, green energy is the way to go and then dismiss all the things that come in that are poor about it. You can't say biofuels are the way to go and dismiss all the the negative things about it just because that's what you like yeah you really have to constantly rethink and say what is the best option sometimes it's a mixture of all the options yeah it's you know you think of i was just thinking about it the other day i can't tell you the last time i changed a light bulb mm-hmm. you know and that's something that was commonplace there were always bulbs oh, blowing yeah. so yeah. like you get decades now out of a, a, a light bulb you know so there's there's obvious benefits but yeah. you never think of the negative impacts, but, like you said. But one of the, the things I do on here a lot is I complain about how the headlines are misleading. And uh, and I found this headline to be misleading. Definitely eye-catching, and I hope a lot yeah. of, it caught a lot of people and made them read it because it really 
talks about something else is the bigger problem here. But uh, And I'll read a little bit, and then I'll get into more of my own thoughts. So LED lights, energy-saving properties are making them increasingly common, but they may repel some insects at a higher rates than the older halogen-style street lamps. Uh, a quote, we don't really understand the cause of the insect decline, said Douglas Boys, a Ph.D. researcher at the U.K. Center for Ecology and Hydrology, an independent nonprofit research institute. But he and many other scientists believe light pollution is potentially causing pollinator declines in many parts of the globe. In a study published recently in Science Advances, Boys and his colleagues looked at how light is impacting insects. After examining about 500 possible locations of street lamps in the, the Thames Valley, in the UK, they found 27 sites with street lamps that had uh, also had comparable area without street lamps. They then compared the number of caterpillars in the lit and unlit areas. And you may think, well, you see the street lamps, there's all these moths and, and insects around the street lamps. Why not count them? Caterpillars don't move. <laughs> so they found it really easy to, and the cat will, a lot of people also forget that you don't have the moths without the caterpillars. Yeah. So if the habitat's there, you're going to be able to, the caterpillars will eventually become moths. And what they would do is basically just find a, a area that should have cat, caterpillars, tap the branch five times, and then count what fell off. Um, and uh, skipping ahead, before they even analyzed the data in depth, Boys and his co-authors could see a huge difference between the lit and unlit areas. The lit areas sometimes only had half as many insects as the unlit areas. Something we've talked about before, why turning the lights off, whether it's your porch light or if they're street lights, having them off for periods of the night is really a good thing because yeah. they were seeing almost 50% reductions in insects, just or at least caterpillars, wow. just because the area had a light on it. Not even... We aren't even getting the LED thing yet. Wow. Um, researchers also weighed individual, cat or weighed individual caterpillars and were surprised to find that the moths around the lit areas were heavier. And the researchers kind of think that um, the caterpillars were confused with that 24 hours of, of light and, uh, and rushed their development. So they would yeah. get bigger faster and, and eat more because they didn't have that daybreak period where they would stop. Now, that's going to throw in my mind, throw a wrench into some feeding patterns because these insects are really towards the bottom of the food chain. Yeah. And they're, well, maybe because they're in a lit area, they're eating the plants they feed on more than they normally would and maybe quicker than the plants can can handle. Yeah, And then you have the things that feed on them. Well, they might not, the birds might not be there or the skunks might not be there. They might be looking in different areas. They might not sync up with... Uh, with when they're going to feed on those insects at the size that they would like to feed on them. So um, some of the lights used in the street lamps were LEDs. Others were older sodium-based light bulbs that gave off an orange glow. The researchers found that LEDs negatively affected insects more than the sodium lights in the hedgerow surveys. Caterpillar numbers were 52% lower in the hedgerow surveys under LED lights than unlit areas. Sodium-based lights had about 41% lower caterpillar numbers than the unlit areas. So you had a 10% increase wow. in um, from based on unlit areas just yeah. from LEDs to still you're looking at half the caterpillar population. Yeah. And now, but it's worse with the LEDs. Uh, the discovery is concerning as there's a global trend towards using more LED lights due to their ed energy efficiency. Uh, the good news, on the other hand, is these LED lights are very, um, what's the right word? They probably even have it in the article. You can modify them. You can make oh, them dimmer. Yeah. Yeah, you can yeah. make them shine different colors of light. You can really fine-tune what's going to be happening there uh, with that light. And we see it in the horticultural industry yeah. where some of these, like, indoor farms where they're using, uh, 
We got we got all this fancy equipment, but we can't get away from the phone. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so you can adjust the light, and in some of these these, if you look at the pictures of the indoor farms, it's like this bright pink light. Well, they can really dial in the amount of blue and red light, and then it comes off as pink or purple. Yeah. So it's blue and red bulbs that are, but you can say if you're growing lettuce, for instance, and you want more red light. You can say, well, I have 100 lights, 75 of the lights in this bar are going to be red, and then only 25 are going to be blue, or 80 are going to be red, yeah. 20 are going to be blue. With this, you can. I have lights at home that I can make them, like, energizing blue. Or, yeah, I do too. Or yeah. They're all different shades of white light, yeah. but I can make them energizing blue or Sahara yellow or, like, good morning or good night and dusk. You can really adjust what kind of light based on your mood and what time of day it is yeah. and how intense you need the light to be. It's nice you're watching a movie. You don't want the lights completely out. It could be a little scary. It could be Mary Poppins, and you're going <laughs> to have nightmares. And uh, you can just turn those lights down just so they're incredibly dim, but there's still a little bit of light in the room, and you're, I I won't get too scared. And, you know, it's funny because I recently just got LED lights for the back of my TV, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how much easier it is on your eyes just having that little bit of light yeah. surrounding the TV. It actually makes it a little more enjoyable to – watch so it's the big takeaways of this article for me is something we've talked about before and I'll, I'll say it again is if you have a porch light only use it when you have to use it don't leave it all on the, on all night um and even i i've know some towns are going towards like in areas where it might be a little bit more ecologically sensitive to having those light the street light street lights out at night um the big thing is the the human safety concern of having things lit up yeah. but it's uh yeah if you can make that personal choice at home i i would still switch to leds for the energy yeah. savings but just if you have don't have the light on at all that's better than either <laughs> like no. having a regular light or a, a led light an interesting thing that just happened last night and i find it, it it literally was just last night so there were three of us in the house each in a different room kitchen uh kitchen dining room addition and they're all connected mm-hmm. um and liam went to put the dog outside turned on the outside light and a cicada killer came in mm-hmm. and we're like we don't want to kill it but how do we get it out of the house it took us about five minutes but we realized if you turned out all the lights except for the room that you wanted to attract it to because it went to the kitchen yeah we turned yeah. the kitchen light off it went into the dining room. We turned the dining room light off. It went to the addition. We turned the addition off. It went towards the outside light and flew outside. So mm-hmm. it followed the light through the house. We yeah. were able to manipulate its path just by mm-hmm. how we how we lit it. And we're like, wow, just think about like how many other insects oh, yeah. in mass with and large lights. I was – when I was reading the article, I was wondering if they were going to find that insect – before I, I guess I saw those about caterpillars. I was wondering if they were going to find insect – Numbers were higher around these lights, and that was the negative. Was that they were attract the LEDs were attracting more actual flying insects? Yeah, but um, no, it was really interesting. So I I'm interested to see if they do more research on the LEDs and see if there's a way that they can have them be lit. But now they've reduced that uh, that impact to their they have 75 percent as much uh, yeah. ins- or caterpillars there. That would, but you don't know until you start doing, no, <laughs> doing so the research. So I, I I'm always, interested to see what happens next. I always love the the research being done on these types of things. I, I'm always drawn to that. So it's like I love that that this kind of testing is actually finally being done and that 
we're we're finally getting some good some good feedback and some good answers on it at least. So yeah. it's it's a good start, and I'd love to see where it goes from there. You know, the thing is, as they're the amount of time it takes to get this technology keeps changing as well. <laughs> so who knows what will mm-hmm. by the time they finish uh, results like this, what we'll be dealing with at that point. Yeah, but. exactly. So where do you? I know you you, you changed the format yeah. both. Before I forget, both two really good articles uh, we will have in our Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. Uh, we will have uh, the place where you can vote, but you have to be a member of the group to vote, and uh, you know you have to pick one. There can be only mm-hmm. one, so make sure you uh, you vote. And of course, the choice is yours. Yeah. All right, I know so, you changed up the yeah, format. Yeah, moving this on. Week. I I put on that we should talk about our questions next. But then you told me we didn't have any questions. We have no questions this week. No, no Saul, nothing. But we do have an update on Saul. Okay. And that is that we've received not just our first but our second we did. entry into the, the Saul drawing contest. Uh, we've received a couple pictures as well, but we're not yeah, going to count we, them. We can't count Like the I pictures. said, my advice for the pictures is is put a little sheet of paper over it and then trace it, and then, we, then we'll count it. But the yes. picture itself, we're not going to count. Yes. But we did get a second. So Dr. Evil weighed in with what uh, he considers mm-hmm. to be. Which I haven't seen his yet. So I, I will share that with you. The and first one we got was good. That, that was yeah, that, the, the first one. That was really uh, good. Alyssa Joy Lewis uh, sent one in, and it's phenomenal. It's it's phenomenal. So we're hoping to get some more. There's no deadline on this, but we would like to get a few more entries yeah. to make it. There a little will more eventually be a deadline on it. Yes. But, uh, so I I would love the deadline to be two ep two buzzes from now. So but, um, episode seven. Oh, I'd love to. I love to say, hey, we're going to give it one more week next time because we already have ten entries and and this is the last call. But uh, but that's up to you guys at home. Yeah, I, let's get I a can't few more. make you draw them. I guess I could. I could find where you guys live and I know <laughs> it's a busy time. The, of the, you know what? If you have kids, what, have your kids draw. draw yes. Oh yeah. So I'm wondering if I can't remember if we talked about this or not. But if we we did say that the winner would get a um, long sleeve shirt, mm-hmm. maybe. The winning picture should be made into a shirt. We could, I, I think that's possible. You could, you could, yeah. uh, we could have our own Saul shirt. Yeah, that's like, not a bad idea. Like it could be like Saul says, "Plant natives, <laughs> not a garden of loneliness." You know, <laughs> yeah. and then a picture yeah. of of the the winning picture of Saul. Yeah. That's a possibility, I think. Do you yeah, think we'd sell any? I well, we'd sell at least one. To ourselves, <laughs> give, give to our winner. I wonder if Saul would would buy one. Yeah, I can't wait to see what Saul thinks. Yes, me too. So, but uh, if we don't have questions, I guess we should go to listener shoutouts yeah. next. All right, listener, listener, shout out, shout out, I'm wondering if I should go first because Tom has been giving. Uh, really heartfelt replies to everyone that gives a five-star review and we had a bunch that you actually have a, a ton this week do I you want yeah. do you want to go first or do you want me to go first um i will i'll uh i'll go first okay i'm just pulling up the reviews too so i can kind of reflect back on on the nice things they said cause... there there are some great reviews oh yeah we got some really great reviews in fact we got five reviews five, four four of them were five-star reviews and um so the first one was from uh, from Red Stare. I hope I'm Red Red Stare. Red Stare, like Fred Stare, but Red Stare. Fred Stare. Oh, Fred Stare. So Fred Fred Stare 
is a uh, a movie star of the, the like I think the forties, fifties, and sixties. Famous dancer, tap dancer, singer was in White the movie White Christmas with Bing Crosby. Oh, that guy! Yeah, I've seen that movie. Yeah, that's a yeah. good movie. So that's that's Fred Astaire. Okay, always yeah. plays like the womanizing guy that steals like Bing Crosby's wife or girlfriend. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, gotcha. he always plays that character. Yeah. But Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers never heard of like that dancing. No. All right. No, not at all. All right. <laughs> but uh, but they wrote that uh, they loved us, and they can't look at a roadside now without seeing all the plants and have trying to identify them. <laughs> actually pulling over, which I do all the time. But um, but I, I was glad that they're keeping it positive, and they're yeah. identifying all the plants, and not just the bad ones like I do, and say, ah, I, that can't be good because it's all over the place. No, you know, at, at certain times of the year when you're driving down a highway, sometimes all I can notice are invasives, which is – which is yeah. a sad state, but there it's not all invasives. There are some good things, so it's good that you're pointing out all of them. You know, oh yeah, because yeah, there are some a lot of good things that grow on roadsides. Um, especially, I'm I'm thinking about. I was just driving through the pine barrens and seeing all the the purple love grass and all the asters and goldenrods yeah. that are blooming when you get out of the trees a little bit and you hit those those roadsides near the cranberry bogs, um, yeah. going down towards New Gretna, and. Uh, and yeah, there's just so much diversity there. Once you let a little bit of sunlight through, and uh, and even in the in the pine barrens, you you'll have some clethra growing. I've seen hibiscus growing in in some wetter areas down there. It's a pretty cool just having that cut where you get a little bit more sunlight in the yeah. things that'll grow there. So yeah, there's some good stuff. But I tend to find myself on 295 saying, "Oh my god, look at all the pears." Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And then the last time I was like. I think that's Clematis, but I don't know. So we pulled over and took a picture. Yeah, it's Clematis. Right. And, uh. But just make sure if you're pulling over that you're pulling over not abruptly. Put on your turn signal. <laughs> put on your four-way flashers before you jump out to, to use your iNaturalist app or whatever app you're using. So just make sure you keep it safe for everyone. But that's that's awesome. You know, And it's one of those things, again, the more you start looking at it, like once you notice something that you didn't notice before and you identify it, amazing how – often you see mm-hmm. it yeah like it it's just kind of like oh that's always been there i never yeah. noticed it like you start seeing it pop out mm-hmm. all the time so it's yeah. a it's a great practice to do yeah the next one was from bryce mama who was saying how inspiring we were to her and i said you're inspiring to us and all the people around you growing all these native plants yes um that's really an inspiration that's what we all need to do a little bit more of so yeah yeah totally it's you know and that's been a real theme and we're gonna you know i'm gonna talk about that a little bit more too just you know, I had to keep up with you. Like typically, I only do one listener shout out. I'm doing three. I know this yeah. week because you have so many. <laughs> oh, you only have three. I thought you had five. <laughs> no, I have but. three. Well, I guess it's five. It's really three, and then I mentioned two other people. Yeah. So, and then the next one was from a from a listener named Darren, who's from Michigan. And it's okay. It doesn't matter where you. I don't think I've ever said a nice thing about someone from Michigan, but you could be the first. I haven't said anything bad. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but um. But no, there's there's a thing called Mid- Midwest Nice, and he just strikes me as the guy who brings midnight, Midwest Nice to a whole nother level. And I'm a, I'm going to assume that Darren is a Red Wings fan, yeah. and I'm a huge Red Wings fan. And so I we can bond on he's native a, plants. A Bob Seger fan, and I'm a big Bob Seger <laughs> fan too. So much so that at, at our like little meeting with the DJ before our wedding, there was like something about something came up about Bob Seger. I'm like, oh yeah, I love Bob Seger. <laughs> and the DJ actually emailed my wife and said. Okay, uh, yeah, your husband said he likes Bob Seger, so I'm going to play a lot of Bob Seger. She's like, no, don't. <laughs> don't play a lot don't of Bob, Bob Seger. <laughs> Night moves will be okay. Nothing after that. You know, but maybe maybe he's a big Jack White fan. Maybe uh, 
uh, Detroit Red Wings and native plants. You're, that's a trifecta right yeah. there. You're, you're liking all the right things. Yeah. So we can bond over native plants and uh, the upcoming season if the Red Wings will actually – if they're on the path to uh, playoff victory this year. Yeah. And then the, the – um, oh, we had another one too. I got to go back to that. So then we had uh, one from KT Wolf. And uh, who was originally a Jersey girl. Yes. In fact, that one Bruce Springsteen song, you know the one I'm talking about. That was actually about her. I heard that. I heard the rumors about that. Yeah, but the one thing I will apologize to her because I didn't make the the Karen reference in that last episode. I know a heck of a lot of nice Karens, too. Yes. I don't know why they chose that name other than that it's very, like, probably, what, Gen X, Boomer-esque. Yes. Yeah. I I don't think I've met a mean Karen either. But it's no, just it's become it, something it's, more than than a name, and I'd, I it's yeah. and I appreciate you pointing that out. It, yeah. it is a stereotypical phrase. <coughs> um, maybe we could think of a, a better term because there yeah. are sometimes there just are bad people. Yes, yeah. Maybe but they, they can aren't. be invasives. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think we got to do a little more brainstorming on that. <laughs> then another one I just saw was from. Um, from Paradox Twenty Seven, which I feel like no, did we before. did that was I it, did that one. It before? just moved. It just popped up again. All right. Yeah, it, it popped up. For some reason, it changed in the order. It, mm-hmm. You actually gave them a shout-out in episode 71. So. All right. Well, Paradox 27, thank you again. You get yeah. a, a double shout-out. I wonder if they edited something. Could be. Like yeah. changed a period or, or a spelling or something like that, and it just yeah. shot back to the top. So, But, no, we, we definitely appreciate all the nice reviews. It lets us know that we're we're doing a good job. It gives us a little bit of feedback, one, on what you like that we're doing, and two, the things that you don't like what we're doing. Um so if you get a chance, uh, take some time and leave a review. And uh, if it's a five-star review, I'm going to talk about you right here. Yeah. And, and I will say genuinely nice things. Yeah, those were all very nice things. Things I did not make up about. <laughs> <laughs> so I have I have three. So I, I kind of in order of the, to me in the Facebook group um, that this laid out, I started with Carolyn Cloud at Sourline Conservancy after episode 71 I think it was episode seventy. No, actually, it was it was with backyard ecology with Shannon. We were saying that you could number your garden mm. uh, to go out there, and if if you wanted to take a, a passive approach of spreading the native plant message, but you you're proud of your garden, you could make a map that you could leave out at the front of your property, almost uh, in a bin, like you would do if you're looking at a house for sale. And just number the plants with a description of what they are, what pollinators are like. And, and mm-hmm. Carolyn Clauba was going to do that. She was going to take the lead, and uh, she has a, a Xerxes uh, pollinator garden, um, and she was going to do it with that, which I thought was a fantastic. It was it was very inspirational and very forward thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be progressive with that. And when she said that, Tina noticed from uh, DNR Greenway. Uh, pitched in with some ideas to help, and Kelly Gill of Xerxes said that that she would be able to help also maybe with some literature. So that that was very inspiring to see everyone jump in and and want to make a change. Mm-hmm. Then we had um, uh, Bree Reynolds who was packaging uh, native seed from her own property and and posting it on her mm-hmm. uh, Facebook Buy Nothing group. And then the one that kind of took off when we, we mentioned this at the be- beginning of the show, Jessica Miller put together a little native plant seed library. So it's kind of the ones you would see on people's properties with books where you can put a book in or take mm-hmm. a book out. She did it with all native plant books and seed packets, and it was packets that she packaged herself from seed from her garden. 
and and she posted that, which was extremely inspirational. I mean, in our group mm-hmm. alone, everyone was commenting and and won it one. And I believe Jessica's husband made it from repurposed mm-hmm. wood. It, it, yeah. it was beautiful. Well, that post has since I think it has over a hundred shares. It's brought seventy new members into the Facebook group. It's kind of really taken off in a positive oh, yeah. way that we've talked about with social media. That there's there's positive things that you can do. To, to make an impact, and this post has made an impact. Oh, yeah. um, I, I think she said that in the first week she's given away 150 seed packets. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's is, 150 people who are taking those home and now growing native plants. And maybe they were growing some native plants already. Well, now they're growing more. Yeah. Or this is their first introduction to native plants, and now they're growing something, and they're getting they're joining that homegrown national park idea Yeah, and by, by growing natives in their yard. And they're not just buying a plant. They're growing a plant. A different attachment once oh, yeah. you do that. And I know there was a lot of great information about stratification that she put in. Mm-hmm. She was printing out uh, things from the Cooperative Extension, yeah. and, and people were taking that. So the pamphlets, every you know, it's just such a feel-good story. It made us smile. It made our members smile. It, it brought a lot of more people we, to help grow the circle mm-hmm. and and – Obviously, in your area, people are interested and they're coming to see it, yeah. which is – it's kind of our flagship na- uh, native plant nursery, little native plant nursery. So yeah. I'd love to see more of these. I would love to do it myself. I've been doing a little research now. This yeah. Year. No, that's – like could you imagine if there was one – every time you saw those like little free libraries and you had like a little seed library next yeah. to it? That would be incredible. And and I love the – I pass one every day mm-hmm. and I was thinking about I'm like how cool would I be if you had like – something about native and she she posted like the next day she was already on yeah. top of it oh, she yeah. had built it put it all together it was phenomenal yeah. so we're we're thrilled about that and we're also today sending out a bunch of seed packets to to help spread yeah. the cause oh, i yeah. know she gave out so many we don't want to see it run dry so mm-hmm. we're sending uh, and that's one thing with a library is you're you're doing a little you're definitely taking but you also got to do a little giving, giving back. back i just heard about like with fishing they have fly libraries too really? for fly fishing where it's like similar concept and just people leave their flies, but they were the the complaint was that people never leave the good ones. They always <laughs> leave the ones that don't work. So yeah, leave good stuff in there. If you have some natives at home and you live close to, to where Jessica lives or you have a seed library near where you live, make sure you're putting stuff yeah. in there as well. Yeah, if you live close and you have some books that you've done reading and you want to spread the message, you know, it's please do that. That's that's a wonderful thing. Any anytime I have a friend that shows interest i i buy them breeding sweetgrass and say please read this because i think you'll appreciate it so as long as we keep doing positive things like this to spread the message and create the community i don't see how it can go wrong there's just very very innovative and inspirational everyone Mm -hmm. and keep up all the great work it's a great active way to get people involved at their own pace yes yeah that's they can take them and work what we're asking for yeah yeah, and hopefully if they're having some issues or concerns, they come back and they have questions or they mm-hmm. join a group like ours or another group and 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 ask those questions mm-hmm. to make sure that they can be we want them to be successful. Exactly. Yeah. So 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 I think we should yeah. I think we should move on. I, I feel weird. I'm like, didn't we already do? No, this? no. Now we're going to get into the plants that we're we're vibing with this week and move on to that top. That's hot. All right. Would you, would you like to go first this Yeah, week? sure. Okay. So mine was, uh, oh, you said something earlier, and I almost got into this, where it was like, oh, identifying plants that you don't know, and yeah. then all of a sudden you identify it, and then you see it everywhere. Yeah. For me, and that, that's the reason this stuck out is because uh, two years ago, I started seeing it in all these native plant groups on online, on Facebook, and then I was like, 
I'd never noticed that that aster that was blooming that it was white. Yeah. And then I started walking, especially when I when I'd go hunting, I'd walking around like on the field edge before I tuck into the woods, and I was seeing it all over the place. And I'm like, oh, this is the same plant. And it took me a little while to figure out exactly what it was because there's two that look really yeah. similar. There's uh, old field aster, which is uh, Symphotrichum pilosum, and then there's um, heath aster with his Symphotrichum uh, ericoides. Yeah. And uh, and the one I see more often is the the Symphotrichum pilosum, but they're all both awesome plants. I'm sure if you're in any of these native plant groups east of the Rockies, you are seeing these pic- people putting up pictures of these right now saying, hey, what is this, <laughs> over and over again. It's one yeah. of those things where we say, yeah, it can be a little frustrating being in these groups because people don't look back. They only ask their own questions. But, um, but yeah, this is popping up all over the place. And uh, it's a, the, the old field aster, the pelosum, is a facultative plant, so it prefers – it can grow in drier soils. It can grow in wetter soils. You're going to find in wetlands about half the time. Uh, the stems and branches and often the leaves – um, have a little bit of white hair on them. And that was, the, I guess, the big difference between the heath aster and the old field aster. That's how you can tell them All apart right. is I think the heath aster doesn't have as much of that pubescence on yeah. it. And, uh, but other than that, they look wildly similar. And for the longest time, I could not tell them apart because the flowers are the same. They're both white. I guess the heath aster can get a, like light blue. or One of them can get a little bit of variation yeah. in color, but they're both pretty white. Very small flowers, and uh, with a little yellow center. Um, but they and they're both short. They're both like less than three feet, one to three feet. Uh, both growing similar areas. So it it's yeah. You're gonna be if you're in any of these groups, you're seeing a lot of pictures of them right now. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons I chose it because it is a cool plant and it's not. It's I guess it's in the trade, but not a lot of people are growing no, it and planting I, it because it's not I, like it's the most beautiful plant. It looks like a little. Like field old field edge weed, yeah. That most people consider weed, but it has a lot of positive qualities to it. I don't really see it popping up on like restoration plants or anything like that. But a lot of the times, because it volunteers on its own, yeah. Sometimes they'll spend the money. I have one that popped up in the garden in front of my house that I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. I guess it just kind of came up here. But that's and that's one of the reasons it's called old field aster is because. Uh, old fields are can be excellent habitat. They yeah. tend to be really goldenrod heavy. A lot of mare's tail, which is a, a what a lot of people consider a weed, but is a native plant yeah. that has some benefits too. Um, and then some of these old field asters will pop up as well. And uh, and eventually, as succession moves on, they'll start to fade out, and you'll get other things in there. And but if you leave a field fallow for only one or two years, you'll start seeing a, like like I said, the mare's tail, the goldenrods. And this old field aster pretty quickly. Yeah, that's a great choice. You know, it's funny. I almost went with white snake root mm-hmm. this yeah. week. You know, <laughs> yeah. because it's again, you start seeing it everywhere, and it's like I, I chose not to. And, and I, I have a feeling I chose this plant before, but I, I, I chose high bush blueberry mainly for fall color because we're starting to hit that time of the year. The temperatures are getting cooler. And I was walking through the backyard, and where a lot of things like the ash have started to change color, but the high bush blueberry were were in like spectacular fall color in the mm-hmm. backyard and um it, it made me just stop and was like wow you know you know i you forget sometimes you take for granted like you think of the harvest of the blueberries and and the birds demolished the blueberries this year it was a, it was a great um great crop and the birds took full advantage of it you know and you, you start thinking about that and i'm like wow i forgot about how great the fall color is so um it is a facultative wet shrub, so where high bush blueberry t- typically likes wetter conditions or, mm-hmm. or heavier soils, uh, can grow up to twelve foot. Um, 
I think that's I don't know that I've ever really seen one in the wild 12 foot. I'm going to say like 8 to 10 no. is more average or 6 to 10 yeah. is more. Have you ever seen one that big? Um, I, honestly, I actually think so. I was just thinking yeah. back how uh, we have a, a hunting club in the Pine Barrens. And yeah. I was saying, you know, no one really hunts there anymore because it's easier to hunt around the farm fields in, yeah. in more the western part of New Jersey. But I went down there. I'm like, I'm going to try and hunt down here. And we were scouting and we were looking at from the trailhead or the trail we were on, we were looking at what looked like flat ground going down to a, a little bit of a red cedar swamp. And um, so we're like, oh, okay, we should be able to get to that red cedar swamp pretty easily. It looks like it's pretty flat. We just got to cut through these these uh, blueberries and throw some Ilex Clabra there too. And <laughs> we quickly realized that the, basically you got like a couple feet off the trail and it was a big hill down and you were literally probably in like, 10, 12 foot tall. Wow. And I like, they were huge. <laughs> it was like where it pitched, where we thought it pitched down was not where it was. And you were in just in the understory of this thicket of wow. blueberries and, and inkberry holly. And it was like hard to get through and then even harder to get out. But we did it. That sounds pretty awesome, though. Yeah. I would love to see that. But yeah. uh, typically, um, uh, high bush blueberry is uh, found in acidic lowlands. Um, we all know the benefit of the fruit, and it, it mm-hmm. does definitely have a spring flower. But right now, the fall color is just one of those things that's pretty spectacular. So if, if you don't have one in your garden, two great plants that, mm-hmm. that you can add in. Make sure that you incorporate these. But two great choices yeah, for oh, different yeah. reasons mm-hmm. too, and I like that. So I I have no complaints this week okay, at all. At all. Good. Not that I'm one to complain. Yeah. How, how are we doing on time? We're, you know, we're like 45 minutes. In. Okay. Yeah. I so, will do my, my yeah. I was going to say, we definitely have time. The, the, uh, what's it called? The theme music list aspect of our show. Cause I still haven't done it yet. I have a spot on my drop board just <laughs> for that when it's created. Yeah. And I've been trying to do it and I just, I, I haven't, we'll get there. And I feel bad because it's another not plant related book, but it brings some Things that we can bring into the plant world. That's okay. Do it. it doesn't have to be. And uh, this is a book I had on my like my Libby hold list. The, Libby's the app you can download books from your local yep. library. Um, I probably had it on there for close to six months. It was a long time, and then it just finally popped up like and and last weekend. And then I downloaded it on Sunday, and I finished it yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> I got through it pretty quick. But uh, it was called Think Again by Adam Grant. He wrote a book called uh, uh, Originals. Okay. That was also like really, really popular, especially in the business world. Um, but this one, and the cover is really interesting because it's a match with a flame coming off it, but the flame is water. Oh. And right. it's like, okay, you can kind of picture what the book's about just from the title and that yeah. graphic and that things aren't always what they seem like they are. And uh, basically his, his whole message is we need to constantly rethink about our lives, about our relationships, about what we, what we, how we perceive the world, just really even how the world works. Um, and there's, he, he basically said there's three main types of people, especially in conversations. Uh, you have your preachers, you have your prosecutors, and you have your politicians. Yeah. Your preachers are saying, this is why the, this restaurant has the best steak. and <laughs> You should, you should even, don't even bother with another restaurant. This one has the best steak. This is the only way to do it. If you're if you want to do this thing, you got to do it this way, or you're you're doing it wrong. Yeah. The prosecutors are the ones when in a conversation, there's you're you're saying how you like to do something. Oh, that's not going to work for for these reasons. They're always saying why your idea is not a good one. Yeah. 
Um, or maybe you're the one saying that's why it's not going to work. I kind of find I'm in that. I'm in that range sometimes. Group yeah. More often than I probably like to be now, like talking about it, where I just kind of, it's not that I doubt how things work. It's more I look at my own experiences or I'm, I can yeah. easily pick out where there would be hindrances in that plan. Yes. Um, and then you have the politician who's just trying to appeal to what they don't, they aren't steadfast in their beliefs. They just want you to like them. Yes. And so they're, you're talking to that person or you are that person you're talking. You're like, oh, yeah, I love I love going go-kart racing and you haven't been in six years. I love golfing and <laughs> or I love native plants and you haven't don't have any plants in your garden. Um, Adam adds another section saying we need more people who are scientists who are not necessarily trying to – they can be convincing. Yeah. But they're not trying to disprove what you you know. They're trying to provide question or thoughts on why you should maybe think about doing it a different way. Similar to the prosecutor, instead of saying that's not going to work, saying, "Hey, have you thought about how it'll work in this instance?" Yeah. Um, and and throwing something out there, or instead of a preacher saying, "Oh, this is the best steak," and he said, "This is the best steak I ever had in Oklahoma City," yeah. but I really want to try this steak from this other restaurant. And see how they do it, and and admire how the differences in yeah. how they do things, and uh, and where the politicians are, a scientist is also not always steadfast in their beliefs because they're constantly challenging their beliefs. So he advocated that everyone should try and be more like a scientist and less like a preacher, where you're really this is the only way to do it. Less like a prosecutor, where you're saying you could like why would you do it that way, and then definitely not like a politician, where you're saying eh, I want to be your friend. Yeah. <laughs> so, um. They get into how your gut instinct isn't always right and uh, and that you really need to challenge yourself with confirmation bias or de- desirability bias where you're looking for the results. This happens all the time, yeah. and especially now. And, and like politically, you find it all the time where, oh, if you are conservative, you're going to watch Fox News because they're all they're telling you what you agree with and why you should not like the other side. And if you're if you're on the other other side of the, the aisle you're watching your own networks because you're going to they're going to tell you what you want to hear and you're just you're only you're not challenging your beliefs you're just confirming what you already believe yeah. and you're just driving st- yourself further <laughs> that way you're staying in it's, your comfort zone you're you're hearing like, what you want to hear so he really advocates something we've advocated for when you believe something find an article that says that you shouldn't believe that and why you should think the other way because it's going to challenge you and it's going to harden what you believe into what it should be by saying, oh, you know what, I hadn't thought about it that way, or I hadn't considered this aspect of it. Um, all too often we just look for what we expect to see or what we want to see yeah. and not for what the actual facts are. Like how do you find for yourself, like I know, like I'm, I'm just looking at it in as- aspects of my life, like say, like you know I love music. Mm-hmm. I very rarely ever go to see the same band twice mm-hmm. because I – it could be a great show. One, I don't want it to be tainted and see that band again and not have them live up, even though they could be better. But because I always just want to see something new, like mm-hmm. I want to see how someone else's thing is. And sometimes I go to a see a band that I don't like just because I want to see if their live show is will, better than will yeah. bet it. And it's I find that like with food, like even though there's things mm-hmm. I like, I'm always going somewhere new. To, to try something different or I'm always planting a different plant to give mm-hmm. like as much diversity. It's weird. Like I always – or a park. Like I have parks that I love, but we're always going to a, to discover a new park. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm like that with a lot of things too where it's, oh, we got to try something new. 
And then, like, there's certain restaurants I'm I'm not even going to bother getting something else on the menu because I yeah. know this is something I love. Like, I'm not going to Julio's and not getting a Gina Gata. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so no, it's it was an interesting thing, and I've I've been rethinking all everything all day and saying why are why are we doing things the way we do them? Yeah. But um, this is where it starts to get into uh, a little bit about how we can apply this to native plants. Was I guess is one step further. You have the fallacy of knowledge, which okay. he, he yep. harps on a lot, and how we think we know how things work. Right now, you're probably listening through this through your car radio or through earbuds, and everyone knows how a car radio works. Everyone knows how earbuds work. But if you were to actually have to start from square one of how my voice is going through and ending up in your ear with your earbuds, could you explain the electrical conductivity that, that's going on that's making that happen? Could you take apart that earbud? and point out what all the different pieces are and put it back together. So yeah, you know how earbuds work, but you don't really know how they work. And so often we know, like we know how things are in our life work, but we don't actually know how that we could not break down every single step. We probably couldn't even break down a quarter of the steps in how these things work, how the car is getting us from point A to point B. So there's that, that fallacy of knowledge where we think we know how things work, but we don't actually know how they work. Um, that's more and more, you know, because you, there's so much information available to oh, everyone yeah. on online. There's there's a lot more people that think that way. Yeah. So his things were making sure you're approaching things like a science scientist, especially native plants. You're not just saying, oh, you you have if you want to have a successful pollinator garden, you need to plant milkweed. It's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> you, like because milkweed could be great in one spot, and if you don't have the right type of milkweed or the right type of sunlight or Hydrology the right type of, or of whatever soil. It's not going to work, and it's, you're not going to get the pollinators. If you don't have the right conditions, you're not going to get pollinators just because you planted milkweed or butterfly bush or whatever the heck they're saying you need yeah. to plant. You need to find what's right for your, your area, and you're going to be doing that by doing it like a scientist. And by if you can't find someone who knows what to actually put there uh, and has done the research before you, you need to do some of that research yourself and narrow down your list by finding out your sunlight, your your soil, your um, your water requirements, and then – narrowing down your list of plants but then trying those plants and saying hey I, this is a plant i like I, it benefits the the blue spotted skipper which i'm making up i don't know yeah. if that's a real <laughs> real skipper um and uh and i it should grow in these conditions i'm going to put it in my yard but it might not work it, it may do great so uh and then you got to trust what the data says you can't say like keep making excuses for why something didn't work because you want it to work or making make, making reasons why it did work so well, um, and saying, "Oh, it's because I put Miracle Grow down, and that's why I had the best looking yeah. tomatoes." Oh, it could just been it could have been a variety of different things. You need to trust what the data says. The weather um, could have cooperated exactly. better that year. So, and then you got to be flexible in your beliefs. That's a big thing, especially business related. Is what they were saying with a lot of these companies is the people who were steadfast in the beliefs and said, "We have the best product, and and we know it." weren't the ones that were kind of trying to make their product better and they quickly got passed. Yeah. Maybe they held that top spot for a little bit, but they eventually got passed because someone was trying the re- thing you referenced was Blackberry yeah. and how the guy who said Blackberry is like, Nope, we got to have a keyboard on our phone because that's how people want to type. And people did want to type like that until Apple came up with a better, better yeah. keyboard on that was not, it was just glass. It wasn't an actual keyboard. And then they Blackberries barely exists now. Yeah. Um, Although they're they're making a big comeback with GameStop and yeah. AMC, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So if you're into meme stocks, um, it was talking about uh, debates and debating and ju- and just having conversations, and was saying how you get so much further with the debate when you acknowledge common ground. Something we talked about yeah. in our last buzz all the just, time. You, yeah. If you acknowledge common ground and where you both share interests, now you can have a friendly conversation, and maybe you aren't going to convince them on right there, then and there, but they're going to take some of that home and it will change their opinion. Um, yeah. Sometimes you just have to celebrate what makes people happy. Yeah. You know, if, if that's what you, you know, and that's, that will help you find common yeah. ground. I think it was saying, present your strongest cases and just your strongest cases. Don't come in with a 40 bullet point list saying, these are all the things that native plants are good for. Say, Hey, native plants are great because they do, they clean the water. Yeah. And if that person's interested in clean water, it's going to help, but they don't care about the, the insects or they don't care about the soil or they don't they, they're going to care about what they care about just yes. give them what they care give, about yeah don't worry about the other things um and then you need to acknowledge that those conversations are a dance not a duel you are not gonna win if by by making it a fight no you I, need to lead them be the the person in the dance that's leading the dance into where you want it to go and so many times that what we see we see people you know, rolling up their sleeves and getting ready for a showdown. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be that way. There's room for, for all of it. Yeah. And the the two big takeaways I took away at the end were that strong beliefs are not always a good thing. Like have beliefs, but be able be realistic and challenge those beliefs and be willing to change those beliefs. Like we could all agree a hundred years ago that the Model T was the best car out there, but it's not now. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, like, do you still – believe in all the same things you yeah. believed in when you were 20 yep. like now yeah. no of course not like things change you 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 get older you look at the world differently mm-hmm. uh, there's you know your opinions over time are going to change yeah and appreciate being wrong there was a, one guy they referenced was he he loved being wrong because it means he knew more than when he <laughs> just thought or yeah. thought the thing before so when you're you know, when you're wrong and then you are or when you have a belief and then you're proven that belief is wrong, well, now you know for sure that that thing is wrong and the other yeah. one might be right. Yeah. Where totally. before you thought, oh, I think I'm right, but the other thing could be right too. So, and uh, yeah, there's a, a phrase I think I brought up before, <laughs> but I'll bring it up again and like how things change all the time. And I change opinions on things all the time. We talk about with yeah. cultivars. Yeah, totally. How we both kind of shifted our opinions Especially over the course of the podcast, I've become much, much, much softer. And uh, yeah, the phrase I love is like, "I, (laughs) I was a when I was a baby, I used to shit my pants, but I don't anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Things change, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's 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 true. So it's what you believe in today, you may not believe in tomorrow. So just keep evolving, keep learning more, and the more you know, the 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 it it changes the way you look at everything. Yeah, exactly. It's it's important to keep learning we need to have a culture of learners especially in the native plant sphere yeah where we are not just saying it's my way or the highway we need to find common ground and build together and and consistently change our viewpoints yeah it's hey let me throw this idea out here what if we what if we expanded upon this or what if we thought about i'd rephrase that and say not change our viewpoints but progress our viewpoints. yeah because you don't just want to flip-flop you want to progress whether and it could be linearly, it could be flip flopping a little bit back and yeah. forth as new information is presented. Over a year and a half of this podcast, we've changed our views. Oh yeah, yeah, and 100%. I think for the better. Mm-hmm. I think for definitely for the better. Yeah, uh, you know, I think there in certain aspects we were a little more militant in our thinking mm-hmm. on some things. We've we've definitely become 
way more accepting. Yeah. I, I want to say as so, far as yeah. As but next next week will be a plant book. I I have a plant book that I should be getting by the end of the week or next buzz. So and I sh- I usually finish them pretty quick. Awesome, especially when I'm listening. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So we we that's a great book by the way. That's every, I haven't read anything by the way. Yeah. That was the last book I read was Braiding Sweetgrass. So one of these days I'm actually going to pick up one of these books that you suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did have a topic for this week, and I can't remember who suggested it. Was it? Oh, I don't was it Shannon? So, we talked about I it. I think recall. in one of our conversations with with Shannon Tromboli from Backyard Ecology, um, we were talking about invasive bugs. I thought it was a listener who left. I thought it was Doctor Evil. Maybe Dr. said it at the last. He his did. Comment. He did. And then maybe that's what it was. So thank you, Doctor Evil, for bringing that up. So we we always kind of talk about them, and we thought we would just outline a couple of the big invasive bugs. Kind of go through how they came here, what they attack, maybe some of the ways you could treat them. They're here because we haven't been able to get rid of them, and they're more than likely they're probably here to stay. Um, so we thought we would talk about this, and just remember as we do this that these invasive insects aren't everywhere in the United States. They may just be in mm-hmm. parts of it, half of it, gaps. So we really have to be diligent with the way that we transport plants. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're traveling from one part of the country to another and look to see if there's – you can't take plant material everywhere in the country. If if you're in an area that has gypsy moth and Japanese beetle, you can't take it to a place that doesn't unless you have specific um, certifications, Mm -hmm. I guess. So is it APHIS guidelines? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, So you want to check APHIS guidelines, things like that. So just remember that when dealing with plant material because that's how these things get worse. Um, but you want to, you want to start off? Do you want to, we, we, we probably outline like six or seven, I yeah. want to say. So we're going to do a top 10, but what we get four, five, we got eight, we got a top eight. Yep. So the, the hot one right now is in our area is the spotted lanternfly. And that originally originated on a shipment of stone from China, uh, land, landscape stone. Yeah. Um, they think, I think they said they found a dead one in ceramic pots coming from Oregon to PA. So it, it, it really took off in PA, but they're they're saying it might have started from Oregon, mm-hmm. even though it's not, not, it's it's not an issue there. Yeah. Um they really like uh Tree of Heaven. Yes. That's their their number one food source and one of the uh things that they've recommended with and because it, it helps in a variety of ways is remove as much tree of heaven as you can, leave a handful of male plants uh, specifically males because they're not the ones that are going to spread the seed. And then um, and, and, and then you're going to treat them with a, a systemic neonicotinoid. Yeah. Or because or some kind of systemic systemic pesticide because it'll be longer lasting and these the lanternflies will actually feed on that plant and uh, and then now they're going to carry that systemic and and eventually die. Now if I'm correct, you can't just cut tree of heaven cuz they'll sucker and and get worse yep. actually. You you kind of have to dig Mm-hmm. Um and and be more diligent on how you remove. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know it's that's one of their their major food sources from Asia. So mm-hmm. they came here yep. and found all that all that they could handle. So, but they don't just like tree of heaven. They do like grapevine. So I know it's wreaking havoc on wineries. Um, they do like maples. They like black walnuts. They like birch. Mm-hmm. Um, they like willows. So it's not like you get rid of all the tree of heaven. And you've solved the problem. 
because they they have adapted to to some of these species because mm-hmm. it's there there's trees from that family in Asia as well. So um it it's tough and it's I think they're finding that maybe in the areas of Pennsylvania where it was bad, it maybe it's not as bad now. Yeah, that's like what I, kind of, I've been well they were saying Philadelphia that they haven't found nearly as many as they did a year ago. Yeah. And then um and then uh I have a friend from near Harrisburg PA where it was pretty bad and he was saying or I guess it's closer to Doylestown and he was saying how they uh it was bad last year, and they haven't seen very many, if any, this year. So they've so. been in our area for for over a year. Mm-hmm. You know, if yeah, I last see- year was the first year we were really seeing a lot more adults. I don't even I don't think we saw one on our property the year before, uh, the, but there was one reported in our town. You know, the funny thing is, the last two times I've seen them, like in the last two months, I've maybe seen three. Mm-hmm. They've been nowhere near trees. I saw two in a parking lot at a mall. Mm-hmm. And saw one in a parking lot at dinner. You know, we spent a whole day at the grounds for sculpture and didn't see any. And then we won in the parking lot. So it's I don't know. It's weird, but it's not like we're seeing a lot. Like it's been here for over a year, but it didn't. Yeah. Everyone expected there's, it to there's like way more. Yeah. There's there's a fair amount here. Like I kill probably three to five a day. Okay. Um, my brother kills like closer to twenty a day, but he's but outside he's, all day and he's in thick. Yeah, plants. Yeah. Um, there's places I know where. Uh, well, there's a, a a beat writer for Rutgers football who says he kills like fifty to a hundred a day just wow. sitting in the state, like in Rutgers Stadium, yeah. watching practice. Wow! And he'll that's how many are in the stadium that he can kill. You know, so. the, the funny thing is the worst that the the scenario that was the worst case scenario that I saw was at a, a field. It was mm-hmm. at a, a college. Mm-hmm college stadium and they were crawling through the turf through the grass on the trees they were flying like gnats slow moving (laughs) you know quarter-sized gnats in front of you like Mm -hmm. the stands were just filled with dead ones but they do recommend if you see them to kill them a lot of times they jump and they have three jumps in them each jump gets a little bit smaller so if you see them uh stomp them out um you can spray if like their egg masses on trees. Yeah, they're they're fairly, the egg masses are a little bit more difficult to deal with, but they're fairly easy to kill. Yeah. They're like I like Fran was saying, you can usually chase them down in three jumps. Uh, like if we, when you're a real like uh, real assassin, you're you get them <laughs> on the first swing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but if if you go to an area that has them and maybe your area doesn't. Do a, a do an inspection of your vehicle before you leave. Just do a quick walk around. Make sure you don't mm, have any in sure. your car. You know, just do the things you you want to check yourself. Make sure there's yeah. not one. They attach the, like if they land on your shirt, they attach pretty good. Yeah. The big thing is they're hitchhikers. Yeah, they they aren't going to move very far on their own. They're moving further distances because they they're they're getting on pallets. They're getting on uh, wood. They're getting on stone. They're getting on plant material. It's um. And they're getting wheel wells of cars. They'll just be on the underside of your wheel well. Uh, I've seen pictures of that. They they hitchhike. Yeah. They aren't they aren't really a threat to many of our native plants. They'll feed on them a little bit, but it's more because they don't have enough tree of heaven to feed on. Totally, totally. Yeah. So that's you know that's that's one of the prevalent ones right now. One that gets talked uh, a lot about right now also is Asian, uh, Asian longhorn beetle. Um, this one came in wood pallets from Asia into Chicago. Um, longhorn beetles like to burrow in softwood trees, so they like your maples, they like your elms, birch, um, you know. And a lot of times they're they're coming in uh, firewood or or nursery trees mm-hmm. getting shipped from 
from the Midwest to maybe the East Coast or, or something like that. So it uh, it was a big problem in New York City, and the problem was if they were affecting large maples. Like if you're in Brooklyn, you have one tree that may be the only tree in your area, you know. And and people were really sad to to lose these mm-hmm. legacy trees for them, and and they were cutting them down and burning them because that's the only way they can ensure they could get rid of it. And it's They've controlled it a little bit. You don't hear about it as much as you used to, but it's still a problem. And I don't know what other than cutting and burning yeah. what how to how to even control it. You know, it's but you you, you want to not let it get further out. Like I remember when it first hit New York City probably 15 years ago, 15 16 years ago, they thought it was going to wipe out everything in the northeast. And mm-hmm. it didn't. They kind of kept it contained. It wasn't as bad as they thought, but it's it's affected some really larger older trees which is which is a shame to see so um they'll bore in they'll eat and eventually kill the tree and and you want to make sure you dispose of it like you you can't mm-hmm. cut it up and just put it out yeah. like you have to you have to burn you know so it's that's that's a, a hard one and that's why it's it's bad as it is and it's here i don't know that we'll ever really get rid of it mm-hmm. but hopefully we can keep it contained uh emerald ash borer is one that you don't hear nearly as much about now as as you did 10, 20 years ago. It, 20 years ago, I was in I was in Michigan when it first hit in Michigan because I think that's mm-hmm. where it originated. Uh, yeah, from that's, wood it came into, from the wood pallets in, in Detroit. Detroit. So it, it wiped out, you know, and they have mainly ash forests. Mm-hmm. And it it was forests of – ghost forests because of, because of emerald ash borer. So – and then it got shipped, I believe, out of a nursery that was quarantined in – michigan down to maryland mm-hmm. so then it kind of hit maryland and it's it's something that it's the biggest factor for the sourlands conservancy one yeah. of their biggest they yeah. what was it a million trees they're they're factoring they're yeah, going to lose the emerald ash borer yeah so then yeah, the adults are going to eat the leaves but it's actually the larval stage of that beetle that's boring under the the bark and then eating the rich tissue that's yeah. under there yeah they leave like an s-shaped wound mm-hmm. i think and they'll they'll just kind of eat enough that it disrupts, I think, water conveying systems mm-hmm. and and eventually kills them. So yep. it's, you know, it's kind of tough when you hit forests and they spread quickly. So it's like those those forests in Michigan were gone fast, mm-hmm. you know. And then when you have that, then you have openings. Yeah, you're getting seed bank, but if there's invasives, it it opens up so many other problems. Mm-hmm. So um, it's nice to see organizations like sourland conservancy trying to make a difference not just in those areas they're trying to get people just to plant native plants to compensate on their own properties in places they weren't Mm -hmm. you know and then they'll deal with it from there but it's it's almost like a losing battle it's almost like you just say hey i have an ash but i'm not going to have it that much longer Mm -hmm. you you just assume it's gone and that's a, a sad state you know it's it's funny when you think of all the trees that were so prevalent that we no longer have like ash was a staple in in our mix 15 years ago we mm-hmm. sold a ton yeah. of ash we don't even grow it anymore like white ash green ash you, you have the loss of elms you have the loss of chestnuts it's so many trees that you, we just keep losing more and more and more but mm. um you know that one you can kind of control with a midacloprid which you know is a pretty nasty chemical <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you know so it's it, it is controllable if you spray i just don't know how else you combat it especially yeah. when you're dealing with like 50 foot tall trees mm-hmm. but um, this one we just learned about from Shannon Tromboli was, did you, were, were you familiar with the Red Bay? I, I was not, no. I was not. So apparently it's Red Bay wilt or, or, um, 
uh, Laura wilt disease, and it's not really the beetle that's killing the plant. It's their fungus farmer, so they incorporate a fungus into the tree, and the the, the fungus kind of kills it. So it's um, – I, I think a lot of it's being spread through firewood you know, because it's, it's prevalent mm-hmm. in the south right now. Um, but you can kind of notice it. Frass – like boars typically bore out, and you'll see frass around. Frass is kind of like a – like sawdust yeah, uh, yeah. around the base of the tree. So it actually comes out like a toothpick. Like it's deep mm. enough that it will be like a toothpick-sized piece of frass. So when you touch it, it yeah. will fall apart. Um, so that's kind of how you'll see it. Um, but they introduce a fungus, and then uh, it destroys the food and water conducting system. So it, the mm. tree just wilts and just can't intake more water and just eventually dies off. Yeah. No, that's interesting because I hadn't heard about that until we talked to, to Shannon about it. Yeah, but um, what I had heard about was the Japanese beetle. Yeah, which I didn't realize. This is was kind of my introduction that these things aren't everywhere. Is um, it was introduced to actually Riverton, New Jersey, in uh, in 1916 in iris bulbs, and uh, <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? So it likes roses and plums, uh, a lot of Asian plants. Um, it doesn't seem like it's as bad now. No, you, it's you, because it's been around for a long, long time. You know, it was introduced early and it didn't take off early, but really, like the fifties through the seventies, it was horrible. Yeah. Like, and it's horrible. something for me. I I just grew up with it. I didn't even realize that it was such an issue until I got into the industry, and uh, and I didn't realize it wasn't worldwide or, or countrywide until I was getting on a plane from Kansas City, Missouri, back to uh, New Jersey, and they had a big sign like. Saying, make sure you check all your luggage for for Japanese beetle. This is and it was just at the literally the I don't know what you call it the the extendable right. thing you walk down <laughs> before oh, you yeah. get on the plane. Yeah, whatever that is, it was right at the end of that before you got on the plane. And they had a big sign saying, "Watch out for Japanese beetle." Wow, yeah, I've never seen that. You know, it's it's uh, one of those things. I remember as a kid, you couldn't have rose bushes without spraying because they would devastate it. Plums mm. like sand cherry. That type of family, they they just feed on the leaves and totally decimate it. And and what happens is, kind of like the next one we talk about, it's they eat enough of, enough of the leaves that it kind of weakens the plant, makes them susceptible to other diseases. It mm-hmm. ends up killing them. But before I forget, um, with the laurel wilt, so like red bay that which is affecting mm-hmm. in sassafras that that affects things in the laurel family. Avocado, it's affecting like. Mm-hmm. The avocado farmers yeah. out in the Midwest or out in the West Coast, they said it's not necessarily there yet, but they don't know how they're going to combat it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, I know Red Bay, which I'm not that familiar with because it's it's not native here, but apparently it's a big necessary tree for a certain swallowtail. So mm-hmm. it is going to affect other insects where I don't know that other insects are eating hybrid roses like Japanese beetle. Yeah. Like this yep. one's affecting you know, native insects. This one's affecting just – it, it decimates everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like I remember as a kid, if you had a pool, the whole top would be filled with Japanese beetles. And then yep. everyone had the beetle bags mm-hmm. where the pheromones that would attract them. And all it did was really attract more beetles to your, yeah. Pro- yeah. <laughs> to yeah. your property. So it's you – know, you don't really see those anymore. That's kind of waned. I don't know the today's status on Japanese mm-hmm. beetle. I just don't know. Maybe it, it is bad and we just don't see it. But I don't – I can't tell you the last time I saw a Japanese yeah. beetle. Yeah. Oh, I, I see them all the time. But – uh Maybe I'm not out enough. Maybe I'm not looking hard enough. Yeah, I know. Like I'll see them, especially oh, especially around my pool. I'll see them a lot. Yeah, and um, pretty common. They they go there to to swim and then drown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so next one, you know, when I think of Japanese beetle, we always think of gypsy moth. 
And uh, that's another one that's not in all parts of the United States, but it, it, it just keeps creeping and creeping and creeping. So um, that one, interestingly enough, was brought here. It it was let out. It was in the, the – I think it was like 1868. It was a French scientist in Massachusetts that had them that he was doing experiments on, and he accidentally let them get out, and they they took off. So – Another insect that they gorge on trees and shrubs, just weakening them. Like they're mm-hmm. in such numbers, and they ravage uh, plants and just make them weak. Like I know we talk about like caterpillars, you know, doing their job, like monarch caterpillars eating, yeah. yep. you know. But they typically don't. They may ravage it. It may not be every year. It may not be every plant. This is where they just devastate. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in such great numbers that they just devastate on everything. Yeah. So. You can spray uh, for them. I, I know they tell you to use BTs, which is Bacillus. Let me see, Tringiensis. That so BT close. or BTKs, <laughs> which are which are a way to to spray for them. So mm-hmm. that's one way to take care of. And it. And the so. the BT is is a uh, organic bacteria. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't mean it's good for you, but it's no. it's um, definitely an organic. It's a, well, it's a living thing. Exactly. So exactly. Uh, one that I was really familiar with that I I guess I knew it was in not native here, but I didn't realize how invasive it was. Is the uh the or actually how bad it was to agriculture was the brown marmorated stink bug. I you know I never thought of the agricultural aspect. I, I always just thought they were a nuisance all over the house. Yeah, <laughs> like all yeah. Over, and they stink when you actually kill them. They'd stink. Uh, and those came from packing crates from Asia to Allentown, PA. Um, they perform like really bad damage to fruit trees uh, and nuts and vegetable crops. Also like tree of heaven, cherry, walnut, red bud, and grape. Um, I see them all over my house. I didn't realize how bad it was and how, how new they were. They kind of, I guess they came, it was like in the 1990s. They really started to blow up in the 2000s. And there was fruit growers who were ready to go out of business. Wow. They may have actually gone out of business because they were so devastating to their fruit crops. So Wow. You know, you know, it's the one common thread. You hear tree of heaven a lot. You hear mm-hmm. cherries. You hear all these things that are Asian trees that they may – some are invasives here. Some aren't, but they come here and they just have no predators mm-hmm. and they have all the food that they could think yep. of. So it's kind of crazy. And I'm going to let you talk about the last one because I didn't know anything about it until you wrote it down. Yeah, I didn't either, and I just kind of Googled what are some invasive insects, and this these last two are on the list. And, um, and that's the spotter wing – Drosophila, which is also known as the vinegar fly, which is another little fruit fly. So there's tons of different fruit, fruit yeah. flies, which I guess you see a fruit fly. Oh, it's a fruit fly. Well, this is a different kind of fruit fly that um, is an invasive pest. Uh, I guess it was in Hawaii, and then it was found in California in 2008, and it's starting to really spread a lot now. Um, it likes a lot of fruits, obviously. It's a fruit yeah. fly. <laughs> but uh, it'll lay its eggs in blueberries, blackberries, grapes, a bunch of different stuff. And um, and then those fruits are then harvested, get packaged, end up in your grocery store, and then when you bring it home and open up and you see all the fr- fruit flies, well, those eggs were on there already. You were eating them yeah. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's how they, they really spread is through through grocery stores. You know, and it, again, you could treat with, with harsh chemicals, malathion's mm-hmm. one. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. You know, I don't know. If Basically, said the only way to not have them is to treat your fruits treat, with wow. with those chemicals. Now, when I was a kid, you're probably too young to remember this. When I was a kid, there was a huge fruit fly infestation in Florida, hmm. uh, and it was affecting all the oranges, grapefruits, and things like that. And I don't know what like that was a major issue at one point was affecting all those crops. But obviously, they found something 
to control it. I don't know yeah. if they alleviated it or they're just able to spray and control it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's but a, another thing too is a lot of times for some of these crops, they're in a places that they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, like fruit trees here. Like you can grow fruit trees, but really it's too hot, and then they get weak and. Like the the summer weather, like some fruit trees, you just get where they get a lot of insects. They get a lot of disease problems because it's it's not the correct weather conditions for mm-hmm. it, like you're putting it. Yeah. So, you know, that's another thing when you're talking about planting native plants in, for the right plant for the right area. A lot of that, you know, a lot of these these crops that are be affected aren't really native to where they're at. It's affecting mm-hmm. crops that shouldn't be there. They just grow it there because they have good conditions for mm-hmm. it, or they're able to control it there. So. If things were more in a natural state, you might not have the same – you're creating a monoculture of crops, and then when you have an issue, it, it wreaks havoc instead of you know one tree here, one tree mm-hmm. there. So, um, Speaking – this is a little sidetrack, but I was just listening to another podcast and I was talking about soils. I'm looking at a jumping spider in the corner of the <laughs> room. Um, but uh, – and it was saying how there's – I can't remember what the type of soil is, but there's a really rare type of soil that's awesome for growing crops. And uh, I think it's a glacial soil. It only occurs in a handful of places in the world. There's like the Ukraine was one spot uh, in the, where it occurred in a tiny little patch. There's a spot in China that where it occurred. The biggest place I guess it occurs in the world is in the Midwest. Really? And that was why it's the breadbasket really not of just our nation but really the entire world is because that's – and that was such a, a home field advantage for us as a country was we had – some of the best soils for agriculture literally in the entire world. Wow. And, and a reason why we rose to world dominance in a way. Wow. But yeah, that's just awesome. something interesting when you're talking about growing there things go. that aren't supposed to be here. Well, that's one of the reasons why is because we can grow so many different things because we have that awesome, awesome soil. That's awesome. So That's awesome. So I think that that wraps that up. I know we're getting close. we got like another 10 minutes. You mm-hmm. want to do a pod, yeah, let's pod do deck? It. So I, I already picked one out because okay, I was trying good. to be time efficient. Yeah. <laughs> Three silly mistakes to avoid in life. Okay, yeah. So well, I have one, like one popped in my So for me, like for my best life experience advice, you're not invincible. So don't mm-hmm. don't conduct your life like you're invincible. It, like if you if you conduct it with a little bit of frailty, I, I think you mm-hmm. make better better decisions. Because um, twenty year old Fran thought he was going to live forever, and was instructed and her. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you could indestructible, yeah. and uh, yeah. I'm not. You know, and it's once once you approach it that way, you think differently, and yeah. I think that's a good mistake to avoid. Mine, and maybe it's just because I finished the book yesterday, but is to really rethink and and be inquisitive, be scientific, and then learn to know when you're wrong, yeah. and don't just believe what you believe for forever. Yeah. Being wrong is a good thing at the end of the day. Yeah, obviously, you like it, the competitive aspect of, oh, you don't want to be wrong because people make fun of you or or you'll look stupid or anything like that. But when you're wrong, you've learned that that is not the right answer. The Thomas Edison quote is, yeah. is I didn't just find the one way to make a light bulb. I found 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb, and that's how I found the one way to make a light bulb. Yeah. And, and who knows if he's the one who actually made the light bulb. It was probably somebody else when you yeah. actually dig into it. But. You know, the the other thing that you learn, especially when you're growing up in a certain area of the country, is that your way 
of life isn't mm-hmm. the only way of life. Yeah. You know, it's um, how you were brought up or how you were raised and how you conduct yourself isn't how everyone does that. And mm-hmm. they don't all have the way. So come into it like like the same way with native plants. Find yeah. common ground, you know, with, with everyone. If you if you if you start every conversation looking for common ground, mm-hmm. it's the conversation changes immediately. Yeah. And the uh, last one for me is to have standard operating procedures, whether it's in your home life or your work life or, or anything. Um, it's important to have those standard oper- op- operating procedures. What I've found when we've had issues, and we had one the other day, yeah. um, was when we didn't follow our standard operating procedures. Something happened that kind of got us a little bit out of the norm, and we didn't follow those procedures. That's when we had an issue. On top of that, you should be constantly trying to rethink those standard operating yeah. procedures to make them more efficient or more enjoyable. Or it, things don't always have to be more efficient or better or, or, or more productive. You could just like it better that yeah. way. And and that's a good enough reason to to do things a certain way. But having those operating procedures, especially in a business setting, is super important because it helps you avoid make mistakes. If you know that this is getting checked at this time and it gets checked as long as you don't you follow the yeah. operating procedure – you're going to catch a lot of the mistakes you would make. Yeah. What was the question again? Uh, <laughs> three is, silly this. mistakes to avoid in life. So yeah. my, my last one, my third one is yeah. just things change. So be flexible. Um, you know, I had worked for a nursery that was almost out of business and a plan was put into place to make it better. And it did, but then it never deviated from that plan. So it was revived and then went back downhill because they never wanted to deviate from that. So it's, you know, things change and you have to adapt and change with it. So. Yeah. If I had one more. Yeah, go ahead. What I would say is a, a, a mistake to avoid is when you're at a conference, make sure you're always going to the hotel bar, but don't be the last one at the hotel <laughs> bar. <laughs> that that is great advice. That's where, where I've found with conferences as I've gotten yeah. a little bit older is some of the best conversations I have and some of the best business relationships I've created have come by hanging out at the hotel bar and having a, yeah. a glass of whiskey or beer or something, but not having 10. And because not only is it expensive, you're that, at a hotel bar, but because uh, we all know who the last one is all the time. Yeah. Like we all know the, the, the people that you're, you walk into a hotel bar and you see certain people and you're like, nah, I'm going to go to a yeah. different bar, yep. you, you know, because yep. of that reputation stays yep. with that, you. As well. That would be the mistake is don't be the last one. <laughs> yeah. The That's great advice, bar. Tom. That is yeah. great advice. Yeah, I'm sagely for my 32 years. That's... <laughs> you know what that means? That means sometimes you 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 know that from experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's good life experience. So that will wrap it up. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to this edition of The Buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. Thank you to RJ Comer for our Buzz theme music. We love it. Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, we didn't have any questions this week, but we had been on a roll. Make sure you call uh, the question and comment line. Call at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Uh, ask, a, ask a question. Leave a comment. We will play it on a future episode of The Buzz, and we will answer it to the best of our abilities. Um, What else do we have? Oh, and the Facebook group. Man, so many new members. Make sure you welcome them all. Uh, Keep up all the great inspirational posts and all the great things that you're doing. Let's keep growing that circle. I I couldn't be more proud. Like it's – 
that's the group I've always wanted to be a member of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So keep yeah, it up. Exactly. It's just seeing what all these people are doing at home, even before we, we gave it out as some advice is amazing. Yeah. It's just, you guys are, are doing a great job of spreading this message. Yeah. Keep um, it up. Other ways you can spread the message is you can buy a t-shirt and then literally people will walk by you and read the message. <laughs> yeah. Hey, did you get the new um, Doug Tallamy homegrown Ooh. national park one up yet? I don't know if I did. I Like I said, I, I knew was you had wedding. it ready. Yeah. I had it ready and I think I said I was going to put it up on Saturday and I don't think I did because I was at a wedding and you're didn't allowed have a computer. You're allowed. <laughs> but that one, if, if we have that one up by this weekend, that's another mm-hmm. Tom. I don't know if you've ever considered yourself a designer, but Tom designed all of these shirts and uh, I know he put a lot of work into them. These are some great designs and work. So kudos to you. And the Doug Tallamy one's great. The new ones, I bought a, a sweatshirt and a new uh, T-shirt from the last bunch that you did. So, yeah. And we will have hats soon. I, we unlocked – this is the, how they get you to sell more stuff. They, we unlocked the capability of selling hats. So it's a little bit more difficult to design hats because they have to like do all this work, but – we should have hats up sometime within the next month or two. One of our listeners suggested yard signs, and I know yeah. that's probably not something we could do through this store. But I thought like the plant native plant signs, mm-hmm. like the that, oh yeah, just to have that on your yard, great message, mm-hmm. especially if you have native plants yep. uh, to put through. Yep. So that's something you can do on your own. You can handwrite them or, or, mm-hmm. or do that. Uh, but maybe that's something we can look so, into as we go forward. But. All of the things that are on that that web store, which is at www.nativeplantshealthyplant.com, everything that's on there, 100% of the proceeds are going to the nonprofits that we have on. Uh, we've had a, we've selected two so far. As we're getting more money in that account, we're gonna keep giving it out. So, yeah. um, Kyle really bumped us up with his whole. He put it on TikTok yeah. and woo, he, yeah. we like tripled what we had already. And I know so, Sourlands Conservancy. Uh, we're we're very pleased that that. We're, we were able to give money towards them, uh, So and, and also Xerces and New Jersey Audubon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But it, now that we're entering a new month, we're going to be looking for, for uh, new people to give it to that have been on. We, yeah. we have a list of already who we want to work with, but so it's keep up to you guys to get the shirts and know that that money is going to, to good hands. Keep buying shirts. Great so, message. So um, when you're on the, our website, you can also listen to the podcast there, but... It's probably better if you go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. That way you're not breaking your standard operating procedure and listening <laughs> to a new vendor. Then you listen where you usually listen. Yeah. And uh, when you're there, do us a favor. If you can leave a five-star review and hit subscribe, it goes a long, long way. And that little bonus is if you leave a five-star review, I'm going to give you that super nice compliment. Yeah. The, although my my saying I haven't said anything nice about the state of someone from the state of Michigan probably wasn't a compliment, but that was just a joke. I'm still a little bitter that Rutgers lost to Michigan over the weekend. So. I get that. But, uh, I get that. But, but, eh, but this weekend we share a common enemy in Ohio State, so we can we can be <laughs> go, friends after go all. Michigan. <laughs> yeah. So this week it's your turn. It's actually correct. It's your turn for a secret. Did you prepare? You I did. I did not prepare. Okay. Um, Oh man, a good secret would have been the one I told earlier about the guy I was talking to about the the sand dunes. Oh, um, but I already said that. Oh, tell us how you know not to be the last person drinking in the bar. Uh, well, <laughs> honestly, it wasn't. Someone actually told me that, okay. and then it, I've paraphrased it a little bit. But uh, but frankly, friend, it's from you. <laughs> it's, it's how I well, learned. I that. have it. Did I ever tell that story online? Maybe that can be my secret. Uh. I don't know which story you're talking so about. So I was but. at 
with I was at Princeton Nurseries and I was with my boss at the time, uh, Zach Baxter, and we were at the hotel bar in the Marriott in Baltimore. And we were sitting with uh, some people that buy, bought from us, some people that we bought from, and another gentleman that we – he was a, a mutual con, mm-hmm. a contact. Um, so we were talking about – I can't remember what the conversation was. And one of the guys from – who was at Carolina Nurseries that no longer exists was talking about one of his colleagues. And he's like, oh, did he used to have your job? And they're like, yeah, he moved him. And he goes, I have a picture of him in my wallet. And he pulled out this really incriminating photo of this person, like really bad photo. And we're like, whoa, why, why do you have that in your wallet? And he goes, well, you never know when you're going to need it. <laughs> and we're, we all looked at each other and went, time for us to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, check, please. I got to go. And you just realized, you know, that was someone that had too many drinks that night, made him say, it, it was nothing horrible. Mm-hmm. It's not like if, if, the, if the picture surfaced. It was embarrassing, but it wouldn't yeah, like yeah. hurt his hurt his life or his his well being. But it just made you realize, like, oh, I don't need to get out of control mm-hmm. and and put myself in a position where I could make myself look bad or my family or or, yeah. or my my work. So yeah. I guess my secret, and it's not really a secret because we talk about it all the time, is is how we're friends with so many other other people who are doing this. And my hotel bar story would be when I went to the uh, the Western Seed association meeting a couple of years ago and uh and got them hang out with the folks from roundstone jeremy and john were there yeah. and i got the f- and, and john's wife as well and i got to hang out with uh nikki and stephanie from ernst and i got to hang out with uh with um mark Uts doing from and his wife from uh from shooting star and native seeds and we just kind of hung out at the hotel bar one of them had a deck of cards in the room so they went up and we got a deck oh, that's of cards awesome. on the tables together we were playing spoons for like a couple <laughs> hours and then eventually got pretty late and like hey, we should probably go to bed because there were some people who were getting a little bit yeah. rowdier that were still at the hotel bar so we were we weren't the last we were close to last but we weren't last so yeah that, but that's a I I was so happy that was my first time there and they kind of just took me in and and let me hang out with them and share stories for a couple hours and I'm still friends with them a couple years later now. And, and we still talk about going to that trade job. I'm, unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be going this year, yeah. but awesome. That's a good time. Awesome. Great secret. Great secret. Great show today too. I'm yeah. really happy. No, it was a good time. So good to be back. Yes. So where, yes. where were we? Oh yeah. With that. Thank you everyone. I'm Tom. <laughs> I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, I don't know what's next week. We're we going to shoot it's, for a rooted discussion. We're, yeah. We're trying to plan a rooted discussion on uh, women in ecology slash horticulture. We're reaching out to some people. We had, I had a different one in mind and I just have, I haven't gotten the responses I, to let us do it. I have a great idea for you that okay. I'll tell you as soon as we end this. So thank you again, yeah. everyone. So hopefully we'll, we'll have that rooted discussion on the next episode. If not, we'll have someone good. Yeah, well, it's, you can trust us. It's always good. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you again. Until next time, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.